Well, before we dive into our sermon, I, I, I have to address um, September 11th, 2001. And I remember where I was that day. I, I was at Trinity Western University, and I had a phone call at uh, around kind of 5.30 in the morning. And everything changed that day. Um, I was from New York. Um, I was the first person at Trinity from New York. And I remember that day was just a blur. We, we stopped, classes were canceled. We, we prayed around the flagpole um, at Trinity and people were laying flowers down. And for me, you know, the world really changed. And I was listening yesterday to um, President Bush his speech, um, and I believe he was in Pennsylvania, and his speech is amazing. Um, something he mentioned that was quite convicting that I felt is he said, on that day, we were united like never before. And... Um, and I go back to that 20 years ago, and I, I realized that on that day, the world came together. And it was tragedy, I mean, 2,977 people died that day. Um, the towers coming down. I'm telling my kids the story of you know, the twin towers coming down. And my daughters and I were just in New York uh, a few weeks ago, and, and I was telling them the story as well. And telling my kids about what happened 20 years ago. And um, it's a different world. Uh, travel is totally different because of it. The world is totally different. But one thing that I remember is the unity. And if I could say one thing is needed today in our lives is, is unity. And um, so I was quite convicted. I, I encourage you to listen to to Bush's speech, um, just doesn't matter what side you fall on, just his recollection of the day and being there at Ground Zero and talking about the unity of the people in America, but I do believe you know, around the world, it was, it was very moving. And so um, my sister was the engineer on record who was at the World Trade Center, who was in charge of some of the cleanup. And I remember her telling me that Every time they would you know, bring a new body out, they would cover it in an American flag and all the work would stop for those moments of silence as they brought. Uh, it's just a tremendous um, sobering thought and I think it's really important in these moments to, to pause and, and just remember. So for me being a New Yorker, everything certainly changed for me and my city and the people that I love, um, but it really changed for all of us. So we just bless the families that are still, you know, recovering from that and the children that have now grown up without fathers and mothers and relatives. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's sobering, it's sad, but also I look forward to a time when we're that unified as well again. Amen. Well, today I wanna to talk to you about a transforming journey, a transforming journey. And as we sung these songs this morning, there was a process that we were singing through as well. 
And so our big idea this morning is that we are all on a transforming journey. In other words, we don't, always, we don't you know, achieve transformation, but we're on a journey. Um, we're on a transforming journey from initial awakening to spiritual union with God. That our, the process for our life spiritually is that we are awakened and then one day we will be with him face to face. Amen? Yes, we will see him face to face. But there are actually four stages in our journey that I want to talk about this morning. And I think we might only get through two of these. Um, and each one of them could be a month-long sermon series. But they are four stages that we go through in our spiritual journey. And the first stage is awakening. Awakening. That's your salvation experience. Where you first come to the Lord. Awakening. And then next we come into an, a, another season of sanctification. It's a big word. But it means cleansing. Sanctification. That process that God takes you through where you are being cleansed internally. The third stage is consecration, which is also a, a big term, but it means that you're devoting yourself to God and specifically devoting yourself to God in love. And the fourth stage is union, that one day you'll be face to face with God. Now, I want to be clear as I go through these that these are not set stages that mean once you've graduated from one, you never go back to that one. They're quite fluid, and um, there are things in our life that we might go back to and return to, but I really felt that as we're entering a new season at Northside in September, and as we're highlighting things like life groups, and we're also going to be going into an exciting series after Mark in Ephesians, and as we begin to kind of come together again as a community Spiritual formation is what I believe is on God's heart for us as a community. And spiritual formation is a spiritual journey. It's a transforming journey over your life. In fact, I love the definition I, I read a month ago of spiritual formation, which was this. It's, um, it's God forming you for the sake of others. God forming you for the sake of others. So spiritual formation is a little bit different from discipleship in that it's not our individual journey. Often we will talk about the spiritual walk or the spiritual journey as if it's an individual walk. You know, I had my quiet time with God. I prayed through the Bible. I read through the Bible. I've, I've prayed for my neighbor. I've gone to a particular class um, at the church. I've gone to Alpha. And we sort of have this individual perspective on discipleship when it was always meant to be done in community. The other thing to remember is it's God forming you. You are not forming yourself. We are not striving after the, the, the Lord as if it's some religion. It's not rules and regulations of an individual. It is a community of believers that are on a journey together. 
It is being formed by God. In other words, he is the one who is doing the work in me, and it's for the sake of others. So I am connected to you, and we are on a journey together. So I can't be spiritually formed without you. So it's a different concept. First stage of transforming is awakening, awakening. You know, I I remember when our kids were first born and when a baby is first born and that baby opens up their eyes, they really can't see anything, you know? And they go through a process over the first few weeks where they, they can begin to see about eight to 10 inches away. And this is, of course, because, you know, as a a mother or a father is holding their baby, the baby can see the face of the mother and father and and notice them and recognize them. And so a baby's sight is first eight to 10 inches away. And then over the first three months, a baby can then begin to see far off and begin to concentrate on moving objects. In other words, a baby is awakened and a baby's eyesight is developing when he or she is first born. And this is our spiritual life in a nutshell. When we are first saved, we are beginning to see in a new way. We are beginning to see in a new way. And the first face we see is Abba Father. The first face that we see and the first person that we can focus on, and it's almost like nothing else matters, is him. And we gaze into his face and we focus on him and we see him clearly. And within this awakening stage, I believe that we have an encounter with God. We have an encounter with God and we have an encounter with our true self. In other words, we begin to understand God in new ways. We begin to see God in new ways. And we also begin to see ourselves in new ways. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 8, verse 27 to 30. As we begin... We've been going through the book of Mark, and, and I was thinking about this, and I, I thought of this story, uh, this interaction between Peter, his disciples, uh, and, and, and Jesus, of course. And so I wanted to read it, and this is about awakening. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, or Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him saying, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell anyone about him. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, I I see you, I see you, I'm awakened, my eyes are opened, and you are the Christ. You are Christ, you are the Son of God, you are the Messiah. His eyes are awakened to see who Jesus is. This is an awakening moment, an enlightening moment where Peter finally sees him face to face. 
The interesting thing that Jesus said to them is, who do people say that I am? See, people thought that Jesus was someone else, John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. But Peter was awakened. And so the first part of being awakened is that we have an encounter with God for the first time. We begin to see God for the first time through a new lens. And the other thing that I picked up as I was reading this is don't allow people to define who Jesus is to you. There are so many times where I'm having questions with young people or, or young adults or adults, and they're not a Christian, and the things that they quote are from people that aren't Christians. In other words, people that don't know Jesus are defining who Jesus is to the younger generation. And so we, we ask, we go to Jesus for who Jesus is, right? Each one of us needs an, encount, an, an awakening. Each one of us comes into this encounter moment. So the first aspect of awakening is that we encounter God for who he is. The second part of this awakening is an encounter with our true self. Do you remember when you were first saved and all of these things that you did before you knew Jesus were suddenly like, oh, that's not me anymore? Anyone go through that? You had like friends that you were maybe friends with or things that you used to do or you have this sense that mm, that's not really me anymore. What happens is you begin to have an encounter with your true self that you are a child of God and he is calling you into new things. I thought of the story of Jesus with Nicodemus where um, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night and Nicodemus is looking for, I wonder what it's like to, to really be born again. And Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. In other words, when you are born again, kind of an interesting term, right? But when you are born again, your spirit is reborn. And because your spirit is reborn, there is a new self within you that is awakened. This new being emerges, similar to the caterpillar and the, you know, turning into this butterfly. There is a new person that emerges, and this new person is actually your true self. Your true self. And so to be born again means to begin to walk in your true self. But if we have a true self, we also have a false self. A false self. Ruth Haley Barton calls this false self 
an unspiritual slave to sin. This is from Romans chapter 7, verse 14, where Paul writes, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. Have you ever come to this moment in your life where you know, like Paul, Paul wrote many books in the New Testament. He's literally writing this in the middle of the book on theology, which is Romans. Paul is the most knowledgeable person when it comes to theology. He was a rabbi, he's super spiritual, he's a great writer, he speaks eloquently, he's an amazing individual. He's like the height of the Christian walk, right, is in Paul. He's amazing. And Paul is saying, man, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I hate to do, I I keep doing them. You ever feel like Paul? I do. There are things in my life I don't want to do, and I keep doing them. And I'm just like, ah. Well, the reason that you go, ah, or something different, the reason that we do that is because our true self, which is the spirit in us, is saying, that's actually not you anymore. It's not you. Ruth Barton also says that the false self protects us against anxiety and fear from maybe our childhood onward, and it develops unconsciously. Our false self is trying to protect what was, what used to be our friends or fun or a way of thinking or a way of acting or a way of living. And the true self violates that and is saying, come up higher. You've been born again in the spirit. As we come to the Lord, we begin this journey of awakening to him and we encounter him for the first time. We encounter the living God for the first time. And the second part is that we are awakened and we encounter our true self for the first time. And you might be in this stage, you might be in this awakening stage, this first stage of your Christian walk. But it doesn't stop there. We move on to our second stage of transforming, sanctification. Sanctification. This is the process where we reject all blatant inconsistencies with Christ. So the first part of sanctification is the obvious sins, that there are obvious things in our life that are not good. We know they're not good. You know they're not good. We all think they're not good. These are, you know, pride and lust and uh, envy, um, stealing, lying, kind of your seven deadly sins, right? And the whole world agrees these are not good. The first part of sanctification is those things have to go, and we all agree, You know, those that are in the church and those that are outside the church would say, yeah, those aren't really good. 
And so the first part of sanctification is that we are cleansed from the obvious things that are clearly ungodly. Now, the second step is that we are cleansed from the things that are culturally acceptable but are not good for us. They're contrary to the Word of God. For instance, it is legal to smoke marijuana. It is legal to get drunk. It is legal to have sex before marriage. These things are legal, allowable. The world says they're acceptable. The culture says, do it, it's fun. Doesn't mean they're good for us. I know this might seem super obvious, but they're not obvious to a generation that is walking away from God. 64% of young adults between 18 to 25 are leaving the church. 64%. That statistic is from 2019, before COVID. They're leaving the church because of an, a lack of a desire to be sanctified in this area. We're allowing the world system to define our level of spiritual development in the area of sanctification. I'll be cleansed of the obvious things that are going to clearly hurt me and others. But these other things, come on. The world's doing them. It's fun. They're culturally acceptable. It's culturally acceptable to go on to social media and blast doctors and blast the government and sound off on my opinions. It's culturally acceptable to be a complete jerk online, so let's just do it. It's fun to just give my opinion anonymously about a bunch of things I don't understand. So many things that I see are culturally acceptable are not good for us. And they're distracting us from the process. Remember what the spiritual formation is. They're distracting us from the process of being formed by God for the sake of others. Sanctification doesn't just stop there, though. It goes even deeper. God then begins to highlight unconscious thought patterns, sins that we have in our mind that are beneath the surface. This might be a way of thinking, a way of relating to people. In this process as well, God begins to highlight the omissions in your life. And so, for instance, if you're walking down the street and, the, and there's somebody who's on the sidewalk needing help and we just kind of walk right by them and we don't stop, that is a sin of omission. 
We could have done something. So not only is sin a bunch of things that we should not do, but sanctification says there's actually a lot of things that we should be doing in our society, in our community, for our neighbor, for our coworker, for our husband, for our wife. There's a bunch of things we, we just should be doing. And these things, God begins to highlight, Joel, like just make your wife a cup of coffee this morning. Joel, take out the garbage every week. Joel, clean the bathroom. Joel, go clean manure in the stalls for your wife today, you know, or whatever it might be. And you encounter these things just like I encounter these things every single week. We come across things that we're like, oh, that would be really nice to do for somebody, but I ain't got the time. Oh, it'd be really nice to stop for this person or call this person or do these things, but I just... I'm doing my thing, right? And so in this stage, God begins to show us, Joel, there are things you should be doing that you're not doing. And these are omission. Might be as well, there's, there's someone in our life that we need to reconcile with. There's someone in our life that we need to forgive. There's someone in our family that we need to call up and say, I'm sorry, and I forgive you. It's in this stage during sanctification that God begins to show these things to you. Sanctification is impossible if we don't want to change. If we don't want to sacrifice, if we don't want to die to ourselves, it's impossible. It's impossible. We're living in a society where many people would rather be justified instead of sanctified. Sanctified requires everything of you. Everything of me. It requires everything of us. Justified requires nothing. If somebody came to my door with a great new workout program and they said, Joel, you're going to get jacked from this workout program. I mean, shredded. You're going to add 20 pounds of muscle and no fat. And all you have to do is wear this fancy vest and go to bed at night. And you'll wake up, and in just two weeks of wearing this vest, you're going to be shredded. And everyone's going to just, you're just going to be jacked. And it requires no effort, Joel. You just have to put it on. How many of you would buy that? <sighs> Amen. Amen. I got a few in my trunk. After the service, we'll go out there and we'll... As followers of Jesus, we were not created and wired 
for an easy life. We are wired for war. There's no easy way to following Jesus. I wish there were. I wish the day we raised our hands and we said, I'll follow you, Jesus. Everything got easy. That's just not the case. The Christian walk is a spiritual journey for our entire lives that strengthens us for war, for battle, to make us stronger and better. That through opposition, and I don't mean outwardly, we're not fighting people, it's inward journeying it's inward fighting it's inward warring i know that pattern of thinking is not for me i'm a fo- a follower of jesus Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God, I want to worship you. I want to be a living sacrifice for you. And he responds to me by saying, Joel, come and die. Come. Come to me. Come and follow me. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. Not your grande mocha frappuccino. Jesus doesn't say grab your... Grande mocha frappuccino and your lemon loaf and follow me into bliss. He says, take up your cross. Come and die. Come and die. And then I'm, I'm, I come into contact with the false self that says, don't die. Live for the moment. Live, Joel. Live. Eat, drink, and be merry. Live. And Jesus says, no, come and die and be a living sacrifice. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 2, do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. In other words, the life of being a follower of Jesus was never meant to conform. We were never meant to conform to this world, but 
Greater than conforming is transforming. Greater than that is that you would be transformed in the renewal of your mind that as I come to Jesus as a living sacrifice in this process of sanctification, I come before him and I die before him and I pick up the cross and I follow Jesus in that process of this transforming journey, I am being transformed in the renewal of my mind. I begin to think differently, I begin to act differently, I begin to talk differently. I love differently. I love for the sake of others, not the sake of self. And as I find Jesus and I find myself, I continue this process of being spiritually formed. It's a great song. Classic. So, what can we do with this in today? Well, when it comes to COVID and it comes to regulations and it comes to this week where we will be required to have vaccine passports to go into a public place, the question I'm going to ask myself, whatever, it doesn't matter, again, I said this last week, it doesn't matter what side you fall on, But I'm going to ask myself this week, am I a living sacrifice for the Lord in my thinking? Am I allowing God to transform my mind in this process, in this situation, in what I'm going through, in in what is happening in society? Am I discerning what is right and the right way to act and talk and be and live? Am I discerning what is right while being a living sacrifice? Or am I discerning what is right because I want to be justified? And that's, that's the, honestly the posture of my heart this week and in the coming weeks and months. And I think it's important to ask ourselves this. Our third stage, and this will be our last stage that we'll talk about today, is is consecration. Consecration. And I'm just going to touch on it. I'm not even going to go all the way through it. Because I could just tell when everyone's got a lot going on, you know, it's like. But this third stage is such a beautiful stage. Because you've moved on from awakening to God and to self. You've moved through sanctification where God begins to remove things in our life. As he's forming you, he removes things in your life that don't belong. And we move into consecration. And this is a baptism of love. A baptism of love, that the love of God, we, we, we come out of this season where he's cleansing and he's removing and we find the love of the Father embracing us in a powerful new way. And he looks at us and he says, son, daughter, you are mine. I remember having this encounter a few years ago. I was at a conference uh, down at Bethel Church in California and 
at the end of the conference, there was lots of people that were being prayed for and people were having wonderful experiences with God and being prayed over. And I was just sitting in my seat and I remember this moment where I just looked up at God in the room of 3,000 people and I was just convicted because I didn't have the heart of God. I didn't have the heart of God for people. I didn't have a pastoral heart for people. I, I loved leadership. I loved speaking. I, I, I loved the, the peripheral things, but I didn't really have a heart for people. And I, so I looked up at God, and in this moment, it was like a, an invisible beam came down, and it just, just kind of hit me. And in that moment, I felt the deepest sorrow I've ever felt in my whole life. Followed immediately in the same moment by the greatest joy I've ever felt in my whole life. And God gave me his heart for a moment. His heart, which is the sorrow of those who are not choosing him and the joy for those that are. And God's love is both. God's love is both that we come into the season of consecration where we come before the Lord and we say, I am yours, God. And he looks at us and he says, you are mine. And as he radically changes us and we experience his love for the first time, we begin to love the community that we are in. I mean, truly love the community we are in to where we walk by someone who is suffering and our heart breaks for them. And maybe you weren't born merciful like me and maybe you weren't born compassionate like me. I wasn't born that way. Some people are born that way. I wasn't. I needed God to do that in me before I was able to love others the way he loves them. And then what happens in this stage is we realize, as Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we realize in this moment where God's love is affecting us, that it's meant to flow through us, that Christ in us, God's love in us is the hope of glory. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up and I wanna pray for us and I'll, I'll go into this more in a, in a couple weeks. There's a woman named Madame Guyon that wrote a book called Experiencing the Depths of Jesus Christ in the year 1630. So it was kind of before COVID. And she says this, the first thing you must learn, dear friend, is that the kingdom of God is within you. Never look for the kingdom anywhere, but there, within. 
You need only believe that God dwells in you and never doubt God's love for you. I want to pray for you this morning that you would have that understanding of God's kingdom and God's love for you. Father, I thank you for the process of taking up our cross and following you, Jesus. I'd like to say it's not always easy, but I'd rather say it's never easy. It's never easy to follow you, Jesus. But it's always good. It's always right. It's always a blessing. There's no other way I'd rather live, Lord, than to follow you, Jesus, and to allow you to form me for the sake of others, Lord. We love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.